Hello, Just Not Sportsters. Producer Joe here. Two quick notes at the top of this week's episode. Uh, This week and in the weeks upcoming, the four of us might be on the road a little bit, so we're trying to iron out our mobile recording options. So despite kind of having to Frankenstein this week's segments together, we really are proud of it. We think it's an awesome interview, awesome segments. We want you to hear it. We're still working on bringing you the best quality audio and content. Know that. Speaking of content, we need your help. Yes, you listening to this right now, in your car, on your airplane, cooking dinner. The only way that we know what content our audience likes and wants more of is when you let us know, when you reach out, when you engage. So do you love or hate an interview or a distraction? Please consider reaching out to us on social or via email to let us know. Is there a guest you want to hear us talk with? Let us know. You can find us at Just Not Sports on Twitter and Facebook. We're streaming on iTunes and SoundCloud, as you probably already know if you're listening to me right now. And did you know that you can email us directly? You can send us an email and we'll read it. We will read it. Just at gmail.com, a direct line of communication. Give us your ideas, your criticisms, your loves, your hates, just what's on your mind, and we will read it. So consider following us and letting us know what you think, what you want. Without our listeners, we are flying blind. So thanks so much and enjoy this week's episode. If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome to the Just Not Sports Podcast. This is the show where a few guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, Just Not Sports. On this week's show, we'll talk to Shreeder Papu, New York Times author of the Male Animal column, about his column on Fading sports fandom in people's 30s. My name is Gareth Hughes. I will be your host today. I have a cold and I apologize for that. Adam, how are you doing? Well, as you know, uh, because you're experiencing it as well, it is cold outside. Um, (laughs) And one of the results of cold is ice. And if you're like me, you are clumsy. And Uh while walking across the street from a holiday party i slipped on some ice and caught myself with my left hand um but subsequently injured my shoulder and um i'm not 25 anymore i was like hey it's no problem i woke up in the morning and i was like i'll put ice on it for a couple days and heat on it for a couple days and it'll be fine and it lingered and then i went to uh i went to martial arts class and this was the last time I've been in a while because I went to do incline uh, dumbbell bench press and I felt another tweak as I picked up a heavy weight. Um, so I haven't, I've done cardio, but I haven't uh, picked up a weight since then. And last week I found out that I have uh, a partial tear in my rotator cuff. So I get to rehab that. So yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I think I'm going to be benched for a while, guys. (laughs) Hope to make it back by the All-Star break. I've never had any kind of major, any kind of significant injury, and I just kept thinking, like, oh, it'll go away. And then some mornings I would wake up and it would feel fine until I went to, and I would be, you know, I could, I can lift things at certain angles, but then I'd go to put my coat on and I would feel... A little bit of uh, either pain or 
uh, in the case of that dumbbell, a a rip. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm out I'm down and out for a while, guys. Yeah, no 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 surgery required, but uh, some some old man rehab. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry to hear it. Well, all good. Okay, well, Joe, you, how are things for you? I have a great follow-up about old man stuff in a minute. Joe, how are you doing? How's, uh, how's the no longer New Year treating you? New Year's been good so far. We uh, saw some family this past Martin Luther King Day weekend, mm-hmm. and it was the first time that I had been uh, severely impacted by weather during my travels. I've been delayed by weather, mm-hmm. um, but we were flying from Minneapolis to Chicago and um, I had never had to like have a flight canceled and like quickly book a hotel, scramble to get a hotel and get on a 5 a.m. flight the next day and go straight to work. It was kind of a tumultuous, crazy, you know, 24 hour period. Um, so it's a tangentially related weather story, but um, apart from that, I think the new year has been pretty good. A little hiccup in travel, but family was good. And, um, Chicago has been good. Yeah. Things are good. Joe, <laughs> that reminds me, what did you guys get me for MLK day? <laughs> oh yeah. I forgot we're about doing, that. Uh, we're doing another remote uh, episode. Only this time it's going to be at your, um, your rehab facility, your, your rehab, your, yeah, your rehab sessions and not your uh, martial arts class. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that one's going to be quite as great. A slower pace for all of us. I think <laughs> get out, get out, Joe, how are, how are you doing with your new year's resolutions? I know we discussed, uh, holding off on starting those properly till like the 8th or even uh, the 15th? Um, I think we're doing all right. I think I've been, <clears throat> excuse me, I think I've um, been able to sort of find that extra gear at times that allows me to to uh, sort of stretch my productivity a little bit more and, and start some of those projects and just try and be on more, uh, which has been nice. Although last time we talked... I I was interrupted by something and I lost my train of thought. I still have not been able to think of what I was going to say, and it has been driving me crazy. Um, but other than that, yeah, I think it's been good. I've been uh, it's been a productive few days since we last talked. That's excellent. Yeah. Uh, um. So I have an interesting story from today. Uh, I went to see an ear, nose, throat doctor, uh, mm-hmm. and. You know, like it was, it's one of those things I was talking to Amy about it. Like in my life, I should probably always have an ear, nose and throat doctor. As you guys who know me know, I am about the loudest person you'll meet. Um, (laughs) You know, I did theater for years. I know how to project my voice. Uh, I'm half deaf in my right ear. I've had two eardrum surgeries to reconstruct my right eardrum. Uh, and so in seeing this guy today, he was like, so how about a hearing test? And I was like, okay, this is not going to be good for me, though, um, given my ear history, surgery, and probably what we're going to get into later in the distraction. And uh, <laughs> sure enough, my right ear, I am half deaf, or give or take, uh, in that ear. And he said, look, based off your surgical history and your hearing test, you are eligible for a hearing aid. Whoa. Yeah. Um, really? 
So I got the mold done and I said, I'll probably end up doing it. Uh, for any of our listeners who don't know me, I'm 37 years old. Uh, so, but yeah, I look, I've never had glasses. Uh, I once had to get an eye test and the woman said to me, and I quote, uh, you have in the top handful of vision I have ever seen. So Whoa. it's like, I feel like one of my senses had to hone itself to make up <laughs> for the other one. But I am deaf as a haddock, as they would say in New England. Uh, but yeah, so I will keep you guys posted on that. But I got the molds made. I'm going to call my insurance company, see what's covered. But I might be getting a hearing aid wow. in the next little while. Well, well, the good news is, according to all of our significant others, we're all deaf anyways. <laughs> that is, I've been practicing selective listening for years. Yeah, what did you, say? Yeah, what'd you yeah. say, Adam? What, huh? what was that again? What? what? <laughs> Um, well, let me ask you this, though. That's interesting, Gareth. Well, I tried not to let my vanity get the best of me. And as someone who's never had to wear glasses, I mean, I don't really know what the difference between the two is, like, in practice, you know. Uh, also, guys, like, you guys go out. You're in restaurants. How fucking loud are restaurants and bars? Uh, they're, yeah, they're really loud. They're very, They're very loud, yeah. <laughs> And I, I find it really hard to communicate in them sometimes. I'm I'm probably I don't think I'm alone in that. But if there's a way to make that easier, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll try that out. <laughs> Why not? So yeah, absolutely. I also have the in in Joe Joe. How tall are you? Uh, six four. Yeah. So um, as as fairly tall gentlemen, all of us. I always find the hardest part at bars is. If you're sitting, if you're standing with a bunch of people who are under six foot, you either have to lean down mm-hmm. or sit in order to be involved in the conversation. I always yeah. find myself above the conversation. Yeah. Yep. So I don't know. I feel like this is all a. Pr- so just to give you guys some background, um, because we're now Twitter friends with Shreeder Pepu as well, who you were about to get into that interview. Uh, his male animal column, I highly recommend. Um, it's a monthly feature on the New York Times Friday style section. Uh, and it's just sort of all about, frankly, the problems men face. And as he says in the interview, he's like, I want to make sure that it's more than just Brooklyn men of a certain age. So hopefully Schreeder is listening and he can take down Joe and Adam's uh, info for a future conversation but i feel like talking about difficulties communicating uh re- rehab as we age hearing aids and things like that it's all right of a piece with schreeder and what he's doing so without further ado let's get to that interview this is uh my conversation last week with schreeder pepu of the new york times writer of the male animal column We're here with Shreeder Papu. Shreeder, what's your title? Uh, I write the Mail on Animal Column, the New York Times. New York Times, I've heard of it. That's yeah. that fake newspaper. Yeah, it's a, a very fake newspaper. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, tomorrow, or today, is Friday, January 13th? Yep. And you had an interesting column that ran 
today. Well, can you tell us the name of that column? Um, so as part of the male animal, um, series, we explore lots of different kinds of things. And, uh, today we talked about two or two men who were rabid, rabid sports fans who decided to walk away, which is a lot different than agreed sports fans or the kind of guys that you would hear on sports radio who would say, I'm disgusted and all that, but literally said, I'm done. Um, which I think is an interesting concept. Uh, and something I think you're finding more of. What what was it that you saw that made you gravitate towards this story? Where was it in the trends? Was it uh, like declining NFL ratings, something you saw in yourself, something you saw among friends? What drove that? I think it was a combination of all three. Because mm-hmm. I started noticing, not that I'm not, you know, I still love my teams. But I found myself getting less and less upset. Now, who are your teams? Well, my team's are the Cincinnati Bengals, okay. the Reds, and Northwestern football. So I will spoiler alert this. At this point, I'll stop the interview for a second to say, Schreeder, Brad, and I all grew up in the same hometown. And we all grew up as Bengals and Reds fans. I, You and Brad have maintained hardcore Bengals status, whereas I gave it up effortlessly in college. I did not look back when they were through the 90s. I am of the Chris Wessling NFL writer school. He grew up in Cincinnati, and seeing the Brown family, he had no problem just moving on from a bad product. Do you know the NFL Network once ranked the Bengals of the 90s as the fourth worst team in NFL history? Because they couldn't pick just one. They just picked the whole decade. (laughs) All right. So the fact that you still maintain Bengal status, correct? Yes. Okay, Brad and you should talk about this on the show some other time because I I heard a rumor about how you used to dress for games. Yes. Don't tell. Let's use that as a tease. That rumor was 40 pounds heavier ago and true. Okay, well, that'll be for the fall when football season comes back. (laughs) So back to the original question, questions. Your own fandom, declining ratings, or just general trend watching? Well, and then also, I mean, conversations amongst friends. I mean, mm-hmm. I just noticed, I mean, amongst my, you know, in regards to myself, mm-hmm. I just noticed, like, I mean, again, I I wasn't getting as upset, and I wasn't feeling the same kind of high. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was happy if they won, but, you yeah, know, it's okay. And then We're talking about this, like, it's a, in terms of addiction. I'm not getting yeah. the same feeling. No, 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 no. Well, you know, it is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because, you know, this the kind of feelings that you feel, especially when you're younger, and the intensity that you feel when you're younger, um, when you when that starts to go away, you sort of question, you know, why? And is it you or is it the actual sport or is it um, Where were you when the Reds clinched the nineteen ninety World Series? Um, I and who was, caught the last out? Well, Todd Benzinger caught That's the last correct. out. That is correct. Uh, I was at home because uh, my friend Charlie and I were having a disagreement, and which he will admit to. And uh, Carney Lansford hit the ball too. By the way, Carney Lansford hit the ball. Jack Buck had the call on TV. Marty mm-hmm. had the call. Uh, Marty Brenneman had the call on radio. Mm-hmm. Um, Saturday Night Live right afterwards uh, was hosted by George Steinbrenner in which the opening skit was uh, the Yankees playing the Reds and Steinbrenner uh, being all the Yankee players. Wow. I did not know that. I I asked that question as a way to interject as, 
the sports fan when you're younger is a whole different beast. Like, I mean, I, I was in my downstairs room. I was 11 years old. I was watching with my dad. The final, the score of the final game was two to one. Um, I remember that like it was yesterday. I remember the feeling of, of Todd Benzinger catching the ball with a foul line off first base. Yeah. You know, uh, no, it, it comes back to me. So was that the two to one game or nine to three? There were two close games and two blowouts. It was, no, this was a close game. Yeah, so, yeah, so it was two to one in game four. The the blowout was game three. Yeah, when Sabo hit the two runs. Got it. Yeah, and it was. Five, I think game two was five four with Billy Bates screaming around third base, dodging toilet paper. Uh, yes, and uh, Tom Brownie on his way to. Uh, Delivery of his first son. Yeah. All right, everyone. That concludes our 1990 <laughs> podcast. No, so, but it, it does. It brings up interesting points about our associations with sports and memory of sports and how, as a young person, I could. If we're talking about this in terms of mood altering drugs, like sports to me were the most intense thing as a kid. It was. I would throw blankets and punch pillows and scream and rend garments. And as you get older. Well, if you're still doing that, are you doing it right? Is yeah, I mean, it's an. I mean, again, it's an interesting question because I mean, even as late as maybe even five years ago, I would still get really upset, and I would just mm-hmm. it would ruin my Monday. It wouldn't. It would. It would possibly ruin my week. It would definitely yeah. ruin my Monday. And you know, you could just start feeling it going away, and mm-hmm. um. Yeah, for me, that was kind of poignant and also kind of, um, I don't know, cool. (laughs) (laughs) That I'm not, you know. Something else matters That something else matters, you know. And, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and then I I picked up on it from a lot of my friends. I mean, most of them have children. I don't. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, they've got got a ton going on. And it's not that they don't enjoy sports. They still do. But... Mm -hmm. They don't. There's only certain. There's only a certain amount of stuff you can actually uh, spend time getting upset about. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the emotional space that it can take up in your life is a little terrifying at times. And I think at times when you think about the amount of time and emotional energy that leagues and sports want you to expend on the product, it's crazy. Well, and, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous because I mean, if you turn on ESPN. In the summer, they're having updates on all 32 teams. And well, when you say 32 teams, I mean, this is, and in the article, I believe there are two, there are three examples you gave in the article, correct? There are four. Okay. Um, but at least two of them that I can name off the top of my head were football examples. Uh, yeah. And then there's college basketball dude at the end. And then there's uh, a sort of a overall sports guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, you can't talk about this as a problem and not talk about the NFL right now. I think the story of this NFL season is, number one, declining NFL ratings, and number two, the resurgence of the Dallas Cowboys propping up NFL ratings at all. Yeah. Um, So, is this more of an NFL problem or a general sports problem? I think it might be kind of a general sports problem. I mean, I sort of view it in the same way that um, or is it a problem? Or is it a problem? That's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. Because, I mean, you know, sometimes I think about this in a way that people talk about 
you know, golf courses closing down or you know, mm-hmm. them having problems drawing people to sport. And, you know, my answer to that is if you're a man with children these days, what, what wife is going to let you go and leave the house for five hours and just disappear? I mean, right. your responsibilities as a father, as a husband, as a boyfriend are much different now. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I don't necessarily see it as a problem. And mm-hmm. again, if you were going to talk about an addiction, it's like sports in moderation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that that's where, to me, the NFL issue is one where sports in moderation is, I don't have to watch three football games back to back to back in every window on a Sunday. I can watch my team. And then see my family with the rest of my day. Or maybe I watch one game, and if the Sunday night game's really good, I'll prioritize that. But I I think that some of this is... We've talked on the show about moderating consumption in all areas. Um, Why not moderate your sports consumption? Well, I mean, I I was even at a point long ago where I just cared about my team. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, yeah. And, but, but... Um, with that came a lot of emotional investment, um, both during the week, looking up to, looking forward to the game, during the game, um, you know, after the game, and uh, and that's taxing. And it's taxing. It, it's emotionally, emotionally taxing. Um, so yeah, and then I just started noticing. I mean, I mean, let's include even Northwestern football and which people might not think is a big deal but i was in school when they went to the rose bowl and then won uh the big 10 or share the big 10. justin shabbat at left tackle yes justin shabbat left tackle also a talent undergraduate yes um and they share the big 10 title the next year um and so you know all my friends and i are you know diehard and new fans mm-hmm. but you know we watch i mean i don't get upset during games that much, uh anymore and and actually, part of the enjoyable thing is to be on a group text with my friends, and so you're you're talking about the game, and it's like, oh, how's Carrie? Like, how's the kid? Like, and, and there's something very nice about it. And you know, if they blow it, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, not to get ahead, because this sounds to me like a conclusion, but isn't that what sports is supposed to be? This diversion that can bring you together with some friends, like a shared common bond, frame of reference, as opposed to. In an idealized world, I would say that's what sports are supposed to be. Yeah, I, mean, I think so. Um, it's when your own individual fandom takes over um, to a point. I mean, it can sort of um, overrun your life. Mm-hmm. It can overrun your finances if you so choose. Right. right. <laughs> it can. It can. You know, it can take over. Now, in your research of the article, did you get into? We talked about the time investment, and the emotional investment, which is kind of. I think what I'm most interested in, but did you talk to some of these people about gambling, fantasy, and like the monetary commitment that sports fandom takes now? Well, I talked, uh, the, the overall sports guy I talked to, um, who had won thousands of dollars in fantasy, mm-hmm. talked, um, you know, he decided to give up basketball and football when he turned 30 and then eventually gave up baseball. Mm-hmm. And with that, gave up sort of watching sports altogether. Mm. Um, but I mean, for him, it was really the time commitment, mm-hmm. um, even though he did very well, even though he, 
you know, again, he was making thousands. I mean, he did very, very well yeah. uh, playing fantasy sports. And then there just came a point in his life uh, where he did sort of the cost-benefit analysis saying, you know, you know, do I really need to change relief pitchers um, uh, or check on, you know, uh, who's in the bullpen or, or, you know, whatever on a Saturday night? Mm-hmm. Or can I just enjoy myself? And so... There's a quote in here that I liked. Adam of Just Not Sports, we talked about our New Year's resolutions a couple weeks ago. And he said he had really gotten into uh, Marie Kondo's on the life-changing art of tidying up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the big question in that book, because, I mean, this is torn through the Brooklyn parenting circles as you yes. try to edit your life and how much kid crap you have. Is, yeah. Does it bring me joy? Yeah. And this quote from the article stood out. I think I've gotten to a point in my life where I need to let things go that don't bring me enjoyment, he said. I think as you get older, you realize you don't hang on to things that don't bring you joy. If it's not making me happy, then why do it? Don't you just do it because you feel like you should be? Don't just do it because you feel like you should be doing it. That's what I was doing. I was going up every Sunday for the Browns and I was dreading it. I mean, that speaks to an emotional, like, existential dread around sports fandom. That is, it's not just that it's not helping your quality of life. It's actively detracting from your quality of life. Yeah, and in that case, it was pretty interesting because uh, he talked about the moment he knew it was over. Mm -hmm. This is a guy who grew up in Cleveland, and... He knew it was over on a win, correct? He knew it was over on a win. I mean, they had beaten the Steelers, which, you know, never happens for those guys anymore. Mm -hmm. And the whole stadium was going crazy. And he just said, you know what? I, I just don't feel it. And, yeah. and he had had season tickets forever and would drive up and he would talk about, he would spend the whole day mm-hmm. um, basically from, you know, get up early in the morning, go to the game, you know, all this tailgate stuff that's involved. And, mm-hmm. and then he sort of asked himself, and I mean, you know, maybe things would be different if he was say a Patriots fan or maybe not. I mean, um, I mean, again, the, the, the time commitment and in the, the emotional uh, commitment um, and the ups and downs that you feel, um, you know, is it ultimately worth it in, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, how you spend your time? And also, again, you know, it, is this the ultimate question? Is this bringing me happiness? Yeah, I think that uh, Adam and I talked about this as well. Same episode two weeks ago. He used to work for the Packers around the time I was working for the Patriots. Yeah. And so he said, you know, when Aaron Rodgers, I'll root for them as long as this regime is there for sure. And then we'll see what happens. But he grew up in Colorado. I grew up near you yeah. in, in Ohio and we were Cincinnati fans. And then I ended up working for the Patriots. I'll root for them as long as I've got friends there and, you know, they're directly affected by it. But it's a question I ask all the time. Like in, when, I no longer know anybody there. What is my attachment to this team? And yeah, like those things change over time too. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know how you follow the Reds. I got to say like, well, I mean, until two years ago, um, you know, uh, I mean, you know, they had a nice little run of going, yeah. going to the playoffs and, um, and, you know, really if I have to sort of narrow it down, the Reds are my team. And, mm-hmm. You know, I had the Major League Baseball package, um, um, and it was especially, uh, I was, you know, I've been working on this book that's coming out in October, and, you know, I'd come home at night and 
you know, watch the game and, yeah, that's and good go point. to sleep. Um, so, and that way, actually, baseball is sort of easier to kind of deal with. <laughs> baseball, like, football, I feel like, has moved into this all-consuming... It wants to be a cultural and moral force for America or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, whereas I think baseball has kind of become this pleasant, you know, it can be background noise if you wanted to. You can choose your level of involvement with baseball in a way that I don't think is acceptable with football fandom right now. Yeah, no. Um, and, and part of it has to do with TV. And part of it has to do with the way the, uh, the game is played. If you miss one play, right. then... Then you you might have missed the whole game. I mean, in baseball, that's that's true as well. But um, you know, if there are eighty one games, uh, eighty one home games, or one hundred sixty two games in a season. We said it the other day. It's a renewable resource, whereas football is far more. I've only got sixteen of these. It's very finite. Maybe yeah. they don't make the playoffs. So, um, to your point about that and football fandom and the fear of like the FOMO, like I'm going to miss the big play. I'm going to miss the big interception. Do you find that for the people you talk to, it was easier to cut it out altogether than to moderate their intake? So one of the men I talked to, um, just to saw, he was a big UNC basketball mm-hmm. fan, and he actually said he was talking about this game against Duke, um, and he was really upset. And then he got upset about being upset. Right. And just decided, um, you know, because he's an academic, maybe he was able to put it in perspective, but... Um, but we know plenty about growing up in a college town. We know plenty of academics who, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> who can't put in perspective. Yeah. But you know, he said, "Well, I'm just going to cut back and you know not watch every game and choose specific things and not get upset and mm-hmm. um, um, and you know and try and try and approach it that way." Um, but the rest of them, you know, just had to walk away mm-hmm. uh, because. There was no moderating, you know, force. Either you're you're in it or you're or you're not. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm to your point about knowing the players. I mean, one of the, the there's a guy who uh, who lives up in Milwaukee. You know, he was 10 years old when Brett Favre came on the scene. It was this huge Brett right, Favre right. Packers fan. Yeah. And once Aaron Rodgers became the quarterback and Brett Favre wasn't there anymore, I mean, he tried to hold on, and, and there was something. It was gone. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it had to do is trying to hold on to his youth partially. And, and then he gave it up. And as a consequence, and, and probably because of where he lives, you know, he's now the guy that doesn't watch the Packers game. Right. And to, and he, now he has an entirely different set of friends than he did. Like He said he got more into the like music and art and things like that. And yeah. That, to me, says something that often gets overlooked. Now, look, in last week's episode, we debated... Meryl Streep saying that football and martial arts are not the arts. I agree with her. They're not the arts. We had a little back and forth on this. Yeah. But they are all diversions. You know, like we're born, we die. We have a lot of time to fill in the middle. Yes. You get a family, maybe some work. Shit. I got all this leftover time. What am I going to do? Yeah. We fill it. I mean, we find ways to entertain ourselves and fill it. It's human nature. It's what we do. And I do think in that way, art and sports are very different. But what they do for us as people, as humans, 
Scratch is very is very similar. Yeah. Agree or disagree? No, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, these are diversions from everyday life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the question, though, is what effect does that diversion have on you? Right, you know? right, right. Is it having a negative impact? Well, it's like you can go to a bad concert, um, but are you going to be that mad as opposed to walking out of a three-hour football game or that you've lost in the last minute? Also, I can go to a bad concert and dump a band with a quickness. Yeah. And just move on because there's other bands. Yeah. You might have one football team or yeah. one baseball team. And you're stuck. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, there is a tribalism to this that can be, I mean, like in the truest sense of tribalism, like you're born into it, geographically based. Um, that makes it harder to turn away from. Yeah. And, I mean... Uh, also, I mean, I, and again, I, I don't know if this comes with age, but um, I, I think I probably told you is, you know, I used to go to the Bengals bar in the city mm-hmm. and, you know, you have to get there early and you know, it's on the Bowery. So you can, if you're in the front, you can look at all these people on a beautiful fall day walking or across the street having brunch or having coffee or just enjoying themselves and you are in that bar surrounded by people you grew up with or from neighboring towns and you know screaming your head off um and you know experiencing you know intense emotions but when you walk out like the day's gone and so is this really the, the best way you spend your, to spend your time? I can see it both ways. I think there's a beauty to the shared human experience of yes, sports at times. I agree. And when those emotions all land in the same place, there's very few things like it. Yeah. At the same time, those people are walking around without a care in the world, and you care what Marvin Lewis and Tyler Eifert do, and you have no control over it. No. Whatsoever. Yeah. Um, it's hard. I mean, do you think... Uh, and part of it is, well, I don't know. I mean, a, a few people brought up the uh, idea of uh, age. Um, I mean, have you found yourself at a certain age um, and your responsibilities uh, um, in terms of your fandom changing? Yeah, in the last few years as I became a father. And, well, there's a few things. I do think that as my responsibilities change, my allegiance to the game of football especially changed because that's the one that I got most invested in over the course of my life. Some of that's work. Um, I've gone through periods of this. When I got to college, I swore off sports entirely because like the dude in Milwaukee, I went to like a pot-smoking hippie school and I was into theater and music and things like that. And I just did not... I followed the NCAA tournament. It was the only thing I did. All through college, it was a D3 school, so it's not like we had anything. But then I got back into sports afterward because I lived in Boston, which I think that town has its own yeah. issues around sports. <laughs> I think issues is the right word. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I got back into it, and I found I do really love it as a diversion. And I now look at it as, frankly, like an addiction, something that I try to control my consumption of. I don't like to have football games just playing all day on Sunday. If I have to work, I'll go into the office and watch games there. So my kids aren't just zombie, like staring at football all day long. Yeah. I think it's, um, I think like everything else you should watch your consumption of it. I also think we talked about this on the show two weeks ago. I think it bears mentioning though, the NFL is getting hard to love 
Um, I think the char- the Chargers announced their move to LA this week. Dean Spanos is campaigning for a billion dollar stadium. Yeah, and that stuff is just so tone deaf at yes. this point that um, I, I honestly think I don't want to say morally, but I have less of a problem just ignoring it. Like, there's a quote I actually wanted to play. Um, here it is. It's from Chris Wessling on the Around the NFL podcast, and I want to explain something about it. We'll lay that in. And the, here's the gist of the quote, because we'll put it in a post. It's basically, as you get older, you realize that sports is not really a game, but it is a business, and these owners own the business, and you're basically supporting them. And realizing that changes your relationship with the game. I think it totally changes your relationship to, to the game. I mean, especially with a stadium issue, and, and the fact that the San Diego voters voted against it. Right. I mean... When does that happen? Because, you know, owners will throw all this stuff at uh, at voters, you know, saying, oh, you're going to lose so much in the local economy. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you know, how much does it add to the city? And then you go to a place like San Diego where, there, again, there's other, <laughs> there's stuff, other stuff, stuff to do. do. <laughs> and, and we're not going to pay a billion dollars and possibly sacrifice you know, how much money we're going to spend on education or the fire department or, you know, all those other kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they voted it down, I was, or the fact that Oakland is ready to let the Raiders leave. Mm-hmm. Like I applaud those cities. I do too. I, and there is, look, I do not want to sound like I want to stand in the way of NFL, the NFL and owners making money. I just don't want to hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I don't want, uh, like this guilt trip laid on cities because you won't help a billionaire out who made $10 billion with his 30 buddies last year. It's insulting. Yeah. And I think it's adding to the general air of exhaustion when it comes to sports like the NFL. Well, I mean, I mean, even take, the by the way, business. MLB is in on this too. With uh, the Rangers, yeah. the Braves and what they're doing. Well, with the Braves, it was disgusting. Yeah. And even, Basketball of when Scott Walker cut two hundred fifty million dollars from the um, the state higher education budget in Wisconsin, in Wisconsin, right. and then gave ex- almost exactly the same amount so the Bucks can build a new stadium Oof. in Milwaukee. What does that say about like again where our priorities are and you know how much are we going to give these people? <laughs> you know? right, right. I mean, we're, we've already given them our hearts and souls, like, and now we're going to give them. You know, again, billionaires' money. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's when you present it that way. It sounds really dark, like a really dark transaction of like I've given you my heart and my soul, and now you need my wallet. Too. Yeah. Hmm. <sighs> I, I, I'm glad. The one thing I wanted to bring up though was I've had an interesting experience with the NFL this year. I've watched fewer games than I ever have. And I'm sure you know this as a reporter working in sports. It's gotten to a point where it's like, I know the league well enough and I know enough people who work within the league that if I get a story that has to do with a certain player, like I can catch up or I know who to call and be like, Hey, I'm doing something on Doug Baldwin. Can you catch me up on his season? What should I know? What are the storylines? Um, so the main way I follow the NFL now, rather than watching games as much, is I listen to the Around the NFL podcast. Yeah. And I think those guys are really smart, and they give good analysis, and they're funny, and they have a good chemistry. And they're a little dorky. And so I, I was thinking halfway through the year, I was like, 
the NFL, it's not a fantasy sport for me anymore. This has become role-playing fantasy. Like these four guys, like I'm so detached from the league that these four guys could go into a room on a Sunday, come up with all these stories of Dak Prescott, this magical rookie quarterback who just came out of nowhere to lead the biggest America's team to the number one seed in the NFC. I'm like, it's become so detached from what's going on in the field. It is entering the realm of actual fiction for me. <laughs> and it's a different way of, I view it as a, that is a different way of framing and controlling this in my life. Yeah. You know, where there's less of, it doesn't have to be so much reality for me. It can just kind of be this, this diversion. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's very healthy. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I actually watched probably the, the least amount of games this year as well. I mean, partially because the Bengals stink, mm-hmm. but you know, I had other stuff going on. Um, you have a book coming out. I have a book coming out. You know, I've um, you know, I have the column that um, often takes up a, a, a lot of time, um, and yeah, I just uh, and you know, I decided not to go back to the Bengals bar. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, someone brought up an interesting point about, uh, about guys wearing jerseys, which I, which, um, which right. I agree with him a hundred percent. I, um, partly this has to do with the ego. If you, it's the, it's the kicker quote in the article yeah. about looking down on people that you see out in jerseys, but I mean, I have a hard time where I wouldn't wear a rock band t-shirt if it was like a guy. Like, I would wear a Crazy Horse shirt, but not a Neil Young shirt. Yeah. You know? Because, like, I can represent a group, yeah. but I cannot represent... I think so much of myself that I don't want to put... Well, yeah, I know. I mean, I, I have enough Cincinnati Reds and, and Bengals shirts, you know, right. as well. But, um, you know, the whole jersey thing always struck me as weird. And as I get older, it gets weirder because mm-hmm. you're wearing... You're, say, 41, and you're wearing the name of a 22-year-old kid. Right, <laughs> so. right. Right. Like, I felt weird enough recently when I fell in love with Chance the Rapper and realized he was 23. Um, yeah, no, I thought that point was really interesting. To your earlier question about age, I mentioned this to a couple of people I worked with today that I was coming here to do this interview. And one of them's 24. He played quarterback at a D2 school. And he was like, oh, is the, is the author a millennial? I was like, no, he's about my age. And he was like, oh, okay. Because – I hear the story all the time that millennials hate sports and we're killing the leagues. And I know, well, that was the story of the summer around the Olympics. Yeah. And, and everybody's worried about length of games and things like that. That's anecdotal from my buddy Sean at work. Yeah. But do you think, do you see that trend continuing that as entertainment gets more and more fractured and media consumption gets more and more fractured, this problem is not going away? I mean, possibly. I mean, but we also have to remember that the NFL is still the most watched um, event of the week um, mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. So um, I don't know whether age had, uh, I don't I don't know whether the media fracture, fracture has anything to do with their uh, that much to do with it or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, forty million people watched Game Six of the World, I mean, Game Seven of the World Series. Right. Um, but I do think you know, as as time goes on. And I feel like the demands that teams and leagues put on us um, as fans uh, financially and, and, and time-wise and all that, you know, I, I do see that as, as kind of a problem because, you know, again, this is a form of entertainment. 
you know, right. or it should right. be, or it should be a form of entertainment. And you know, maybe I'll just be entertained by watching Breaking Bad again. <laughs> yeah. The demands that leagues put on us is a really good way to put that. My my theory on this. And I have a theory, if you don't mind my sharing sure. it with you, is that the peak of the NFL was Super Bowl Forty Nine. I don't say that as a Patriots fan. Yeah. But I think that you had all the storylines leading into it. You had Deflategate dominating the national news for two weeks. You had Pete Carroll going against his old team, the guy who took his place. And, uh, and you had the Golden Boy quarterback either going to win his fourth or this team going to win their second. Uh, it was returned to the scene of the crime for Super Bowl 42, And it ends with, no matter what you think of the Patriots and the end result, one of the most dramatic plays in all of NFL history. Yeah. Like there, there's never been so close to a play that's like going to win or lose the Super Bowl. Or as somebody else put it, that was the most dramatic defensive play in the history of football. Yeah. And Malcolm Brown or Malcolm Butler, ooh, sorry. And Malcolm Butler will be signing pictures of that for the rest of his life. Yeah. Like he'll go to autograph shows and sign pictures of that. Malcolm Butler, SB forty nine, till the day he dies. Yeah. That was also though, it was an NBC broadcast that was for a while starting with I believe it was Super Bowl forty four in Miami. Every that year it was on CBS. I did that show. We broke the ratings record set by the last episode of MASH. And every year after that, the ratings climbed on the Super Bowl and they always broke the record of the previous year before to become the most watched television program in history. Yeah. Super Bowl 49 did that. Super Bowl 50 did not. And so I think it would be it'll be interesting to see what happens this year with Super Bowl 51, but right now you could start charting a course upward and start to see it turn down. And I'm wondering if that wasn't the peak. Now, if it's the Cowboys, Patriots, and the Super Bowl this year, or if it's Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, yeah. I'll probably be wrong. Yeah. And it'll break the record again. Yeah. But if we're in Houston and it's Matt Ryan, Ben Roethlisberger, or Tom Brady, I, I think you're going to start to see that trend line go down and it might stick. Yeah. What do you think of my theory? Um... Let me chew on it for a second because, um, you know, it was the most dramatic ending in, in Super Bowl history. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, the thing is, especially when it comes to this stuff, I mean, you know, there has to be a saturation point, right? Right. Well, that's that's the other thing. How much higher can it go? And that's no knock on the NFL. No. I mean, it's done, obviously, exceedingly well. <laughs> I mean, and in some ways, it's the victim of its own success. I right. Mean, it's a made-for-TV product that made itself too good in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. I mean, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there has to be a point when, you know, all things sort of, uh, you know, fall back. A little Find bit. their level. And yeah. Um, all right. So your book comes out in October, right? It does. Yes. Do you want to, what can you share about it? Um, it's called the year of the pitcher. Okay. Um, uh, and what is the subhead? Oh, Bob Gibson, Denny McLean, and the end of baseball's golden age. Okay, and it culminates in the nineteen sixty eight World Series, but it really um, is almost um, sort of by accident a dual biography of the two guys, and it also talks about what led to that season, which is the season where pitchers dominated mm-hmm. um, like never before um, for reasons 
um, that had to do with that go back to Maris and Mantle's uh, 61, campaign. 61 campaign and when Tommy Davis had that terrific uh, season afterwards for the Dodgers and you know, this idea that offense had taken over and you had um, and you had pitching just you know just be incredible that year mm-hmm. and um, but you know some of the uh, sidelines of the book um, that have to do with race and with TV and the rise of the NFL and with sort of baseball's detachment of uh, from you know the horrible events of that year mm-hmm. you know its involvement and non-involvement um, are some of the more interesting uh, aspects I think there was um I believe it was like Earl Warren who might have said uh, I never read the new uh, the front page first. I think I, don't said, read, I always read the sports the first. First. I, think, I, don't I don't want to read that year. Yeah. Yeah. And because uh, I don't want to read about man's failings, I want to read about man's successes. Yeah. And I was thinking about that quote as I was coming down here today because increasingly, too, I think the sports page and its impact on a fan's life has gotten to be um, in, in the final summation. I think it's becoming more and more negative. And I think it's a great quote. And I think it's right in an ideal world, but it's no longer become that. And I think 68 is an example of how sports can be a pleasant distraction. Well, yeah, but, uh, um, and part of the book, uh, sort of asks the question because there is a myth that, um, so built around Detroit who won the world series, mm-hmm. uh, because the riots happened, the Detroit riots, yeah. uh, the most destructive riots in, in American history up until that point. Um, happened the year before and there's this myth that uh that the tigers reunited the black and white citizenry of detroit which is nonsense so i mean it ultimately asks it's ultimately a book about limits Mm -hmm. in in such a terrible time how much can sports actually help um i like the limits angle how much can sports help how many how many wins can a modern pitcher get how low can era get what's our bottom on that and um, in a lot of ways, 1968 is when we saw those limits. But to their ultimate test, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you have that. Anything else we should know? Any upcoming male animal columns? Uh, stuff in the works, but... Um, Nothing you can share? Nothing I can share. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, Schrader, thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. That was the conversation with Schreeder. Thank you so much for sitting down with us, uh, sitting down with me in person, especially on the day. It felt cool, I have to say this, guys, to interview somebody on the day their column ran in the New York Times. Um, yeah. I was like, wow, how is that for Timely? Um, so I had an interesting couple experiences I was talking to people about the podcast over the weekend. They asked what guests we had coming up. And I mentioned to three or four guys in my neighborhood, all between the ages of 30 and 40, uh, who we had coming up. And I, I mentioned Schreeder. He wrote this article. They all stopped me before I could finish to say, I just read that. I sent that to a friend. Oh, my God. And so I give him so much credit. I did in the interview. He really hit a nerve. Adam, I'm going to start with you. Um, I've kind of viewed this as a companion piece to our conversation about violence in Buffalo a few weeks ago. But how has your fandom changed as you've gotten older? Um, you know, I was really nervous to talk about this because I have some strong feelings about 
um, for example, men who wear jerseys of other grown men. Um, and I, I have some very, def- I, and I'm serious. Like I, I think I, I don't want to isolate any of our, anyone who does that. Cause I don't think it's wrong. I just think, so I, I really think, um, it working, ain't for me. <laughs> yeah. Working, working in sports, um, has changed the way I look at it. I think when yes. you work for a team, you actually are affected are uh, impacted daily by the team you work for. Um, and I think especially working for the Green Bay Packers. And uh, I like, I I admire Packers fans and their emotional attachment to the team. Yep. But it's something I uh, that is also bothersome to me because I can proudly say that when the game is over, um, other than maybe some social media interaction, Win or lose, I've kind of forgotten about it. It's a, it's come, it's, it, it, I used to have more of an emotional attachment and it's become more of a form of entertainment. It is my favorite form of entertainment. Yep. Um, but I would say, okay, so I grew up a Broncos fan. I am a Broncos fan when they are a winning team. So, well, that's being a fair weather fan. That is correct. Uh, <laughs> it is sports is a form of entertainment. Yep. And if the watching the Broncos um, ceases to be entertaining for me, um, I don't find any reason to watch it. And I will watch something else on TV. I agree with you. I remember when I was, it was 2004 and the Red Sox were in the midst of their big run to the World Series. And everybody in Boston got into the Red Sox, including like my wife's hairdresser friend. And she put Red Sox crap all over her salon. And a friend of mine was like, that's such bullshit, man. She's a Fairweather fan. I was like, dude, isn't this town a lot more entertaining because everybody is only talking about the baseball team? Like, yeah. This is more fun when everybody gets involved. I'm sure you guys experienced that this fall in Chicago with the Cubs. Like, I hundred percent. So, yes. Joe, you're still look. You're our token millennial. Um, <laughs> you know, but you're a little younger. Uh, how do you? How is your fandom progressing? How have you noticed it change as you've worked more in sports? I think. Um I think we talked last time about, uh, you know, do you, you asked the question, is is football a game that we love? And I think I said no. Um, I've always sort of respected the the identity and sort of the relationship you can have with college athletics. And I think um, though I am most connected to college football, I even think like my fandom isn't um, isn't as strong as others. I... Um, my fiance who I live with, she is a, she is a Spartan. She is, she and her family are, they just love, love their school and, 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 and wear their gear proudly. And, um, I think I own one piece of Michigan gear and it's, it's not even athletic related. It's, uh, it's a chemistry t-shirt. So like, I think I, that's also very that's good Joe Reed right there. hundred percent. That's spot on um, 40 year old millennial. But I, I think I've always been able to sort of separate myself from, from the game to Adam's point. When we were watching the Cubs in game seven, 
Alina was freaking out and, oh my gosh, what's going on? The riding the highs and the lows. And I'm like, it's all right. It's okay. Like if we win, it'll be awesome. If we lose, whatever, we'll go to bed in a half an hour and we'll be fine. Um, so I think I've been able to manage that sort of that line pretty well. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I feel like I've never had that. I'm not a Jersey wearer. I'm not a diehard. I don't bleed any color. I am totally a Fairweather fan. Like, yeah, I went to a Cubs game this year and it was awesome. Um, but they sucked a few years ago and I didn't watch them or go to them then. Um, I don't know. I, well, well yeah. Adam said it. You said it. I agree 100%. The idea of Fairweather fandom should be eliminated entirely. Um, it's like I'm not going to watch my favorite actor's shitty movies. I like Totally. If you write if my favorite author good. writes a like, bad book, I'm not going to read that either or a bad album by a band I like. It's Exactly. It's like the I exact still, same you know, thing. Yeah. It's so, so it's almost treated with us there like the idea of fandom by some people is treated with such a dogma that like I'll sit through a 1 in 15 season and that's there's something somehow admirable about that there's and pride, I, yeah there's pride I would like, in that yeah i would like to hear the the I, again <laughs> this is where and no i and i'm serious you know as we come into the trump area and and trump um era and we're still trying to understand or at least i am of like how did people vote for him and i now approach it with a genuine curiosity this is yet another topic where I'd like to sit down with the Cleveland Browns fan who watched every game and say, like, <laughs> hey, at, at what point in the season did you think, like, you watched Maybe. all 16 games. Did it ever occur to you that it was okay to bail on this team and explain to me why not? Right, well, yeah. because my dad did it and his dad did it, and it just becomes this um, dogmatic behavior that um, – like, I, hey, to each his own, if you really enjoy watching your home team and that's a family tradition and it's just something you want to do, I just think there's got to be more to do than watch than suffer I, like that. I love your use of dogma to describe sports fandom um, because it does – I think it encompasses some of the religious fervor that mm-hmm. can be a part of the experience. And I – I also love, Adam, your use of the word entertainment uh, because, look, we all know that sports are entertainment. We hear that every week or you hear it in the trades or whatever. Um, I think one of the most freeing things about getting older is not being as dogmatic about a team and just being able to be like, well, this game is like this Sunday night game seems terrible. I'm going to watch a movie or read a book or yes. do anything else. I don't have to watch. Like I am not forced to watch it again. Spencer Hall hit on some of this with his idea of like the NFL is just content now. Like you're not special. Yeah. You're content like everything else. Now, when you have the best guys like Aaron Rodgers playing quarterback is the best content available on television right now. Um, yes. Because the way he plays the game is outrageously entertaining. And I don't have to have a lifelong love of the Packers or anything else to enjoy that. Just as someone who enjoys cool shit, I'm like, man, that was awesome. <laughs> so. yeah. Well, and I'll put it a different way. Like, uh, Gareth, despite your connection to them, I'm generally not a fan of the way 
Um, the Patriots have conducted themselves ethically. Yep. yep. But boy, from a technical standpoint, football wise, uh, there's almost no team I would watch more. So am I saying that I'm a Patriots fan? Well, in the sense that we talk about fandom, no, I don't really root for them to win or lose. Um, but if there's a game on, because I feel like I understand the game of football, <laughs> right. watching them is always a joy, even in a loss, because of the because of the way they execute differently than I think any other team. Well, three years ago, when the Patriots and Packers played regular season, it was like week twelve. Um, I sat down with my Packers buddy to watch that game, and Judy Batista tweeted, "Friend of the pod." Uh, halfway through the game, she was like, my God, this is a highly, like, this is superb football. That was her exact quote. And the problem with watching that game was it just put into such stark relief how bad a lot of the football that is played and consumed is. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I'll watch all the superb football you want to put out there, but that first week of the playoffs – I the old, yeah exactly and I watched very very little of it and I think what it gets down to and at the heart of the article is just that as you get older your time becomes more valuable and maybe you shouldn't give it over to a league that just wants more and more control over your life <laughs> so yeah it's interesting I just had this conversation with uh, a colleague of mine at work. He's a diehard Patriots fan, and he was asking me, like, oh, so who are you rooting for this weekend? And my my response most often, and it was this time as well, was, like, I just wanted to see a good game. Like, that that Green Bay game this weekend was, like, uh, was just unreal. Green Bay-Dallas, like, that was an amazing football game to watch. I yeah. don't have any affiliation with either team, but like, damn, it was enjoyable to watch. It was great entertainment. Um, that was amazing. 100%. It's what makes great entertainment. High drama, characters who you're familiar with, conflict, um, back, ups and downs. Um, yeah, it was it had everything. Artistry. Yeah, it, it had everything. Yeah. All right. So well, I, I think- can totally understand. But I will say, so I will say this, um, and I don't know if this is something a lot of people can relate to, but people ask me a lot of times, so are you a Packers fan? And my answer is very simple. There's still four or five guys left on the team who I know or worked with when I was there. I haven't worked in Green Bay. I haven't worked for the Packers in six and a half years, but there's Rodgers and Crosby and a handful of other guys um, as long as they are still with the team I do feel some sort of obligation to watch them when they're on because I mm-hmm. I know those guys and I'm invested in what they do for a living like mm-hmm. Gareth if you tell me one of your segments is running on TV I want to watch that because I'm invested in what you do as a person so right in yeah. that way I, I want to watch and see and see and Mason hit those two field goals. Um, I first talked to Mason Crosby. So I was a graduate assistant at the University of Colorado. I first talked to him when he signed as a recruit. So I was a grad assistant there when he was a senior in high school. And I remember collecting his bio and writing Mason Crosby's bio. So years later, 
mm-hmm. um, to see him kick that field goal. I do feel an emotional attachment to that in terms of like watching a guy's accomplishment and and growing up watching John Elway when he finally won that Super Bowl. There was that shared experience of, you know, uh, watching a guy struggle and almost get to the mountaintop and not quite get there. And then he succeeds like those are those are the great moments in sports. But um, when uh, the Broncos had Tim Tebow, I had no interest in that team. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it just kind of depends. I mean, watching watching greatness really um, fulfill itself is pretty amazing. Watching mediocrity is something I don't care for. Greatness is always compelling. Um It'll always be compelling, and greatness doesn't necessarily have to wear a particular jersey. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. um, look, I hope I know that the last few weeks we've gotten into some similar topics along these lines, but I do hope as we go along as Just Not Sports, we can kind of use this space to just kind of part of this was all an experiment for us to look at our own fandom and our own relationship to sports. So I hope we can continue doing that here. Yeah, guys, don't worry. We'll be talking about John Sally's dick again next week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With that, we are going to move on to my favorite segment every week, the one that Adam has now started including in his weekly staff meetings and the one that I pitched to CBS we should be doing too, and that is distraction adam we know you've got at least one distraction on the table that is your current rehab schedule so joe reed let's start with you what is distracting you this week so this week um or and probably for the f- few weeks upcoming um so alina and i got engaged last uh december which was exciting and so now we are in full Yay. on we are in full-on planning mode um, and saving mode and budget-creating mode and all this great stuff. Um, and so I was thinking about it. Um, it's going to be it's going to sound like an endorsement, but I was actually very excited by this. And so one area I thought of because she's going to be doing a few work trips upcoming was groceries. I was like, well, Lena's going to be on the road for a few weeks, um, so she's going to be eating on her company's dime, and then I'm going to be <laughs> home. And I'm like, well, I could shop at our normal store or I could see if like, is there any way I could save money on my groceries? And so I went to this store. I'm sure Adam's heard of it. I maybe Gareth, you have, I don't know if they have it out in the East coast. Have you heard of Aldi? I do know of Aldi. Yeah. Yeah. Uh So I went there. This was, I think it was last night or two nights ago. And for those who don't know, Aldi is, I think they're sort of the parent or sister company of Trader Joe's. Um, I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah. I think they're the same company or the same founders founded. There's some relationship there. Um, But basically what Aldi is, is it's sort of, I would almost describe it as sort of like a budget grocery store. They, um, their checkout process is sort of streamlined where you have to bag your own groceries. You have to return your own carts. Um, They don't like, there's a lot of, um, Aldi products, there aren't, um, 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 how, you know, there, there aren't a ton of name brand items. They don't have a lot of employees. All their, all their products are stacked like on the pallets in which they come in. Um, you know, single item selections for certain areas of produce and all sorts of stuff. They basically find ways to cut corners and save cost. And as a result, you pay like 
half as much money for your groceries. And it was unreal. So I'm, I'm not even joking. It was like, I went there and I was like, man, if I went to our normal grocery store, this would be like 80 or $90. And I spent $39 on like, what is going to be like a week's worth of groceries. Um, how's so the produce, it, how's the meat like similar to just, uh, to uh, Trader Joe's? Are they, uh, heavy on dry goods and things like that? Very dry goods, canned goods. Um, you, you know, uh, produce was sort of produce wasn't bad. We got um, like some green peppers and um, onions and potatoes, and they uh, it didn't see. I didn't get a ton. I'll, I'll probably try it out more. This is my first trip. Um, a lot of areas were like one item only. Like they got one type of shredded cheese. They got one type of. Um, like beef cut. They have one type of pop. Like, so it's sort of Whoa, like- Oh, you said pop. That was, that was worth the whole well, I thing. I say pop. I'm a pop guy. So if you're, if, you're, if you're operating sort of within like what you might describe as sort of like a normal diet, like, oh, we like to have like tacos and spaghetti and whatever, whatever, like, then you can probably find what you need there. If you're looking for very specific items, they probably won't have it or, you know, more ethnic foods. But um I just thought it was really interesting. And I guess this was explained to me by a colleague of mine who shops there. So I think they were normally Midwest. I'm really rambling on Aldi here. They have recently started opening stores in California. And I think in the Midwest, there's kind of this stigma of like, it's for people on like a pretty tight budget or lower income. That is how I know it. Yes, yes. But in California, because it's new, nobody knows of this sort of reputation that it has. And so I guess it's perceived as like the cool thing to do. Like it's the cool place to go shopping in these neighborhoods because nobody knows what it is. And I just found that interesting that like the same store could exist in two different markets um, and, you know, by doing the same thing, serve two very different clientele. And um, I don't know. Anyways, so I guess my distraction would be I'm trying to save money but right now, that's manifesting itself as uh, shopping at Aldi. You're so excited about something. That's I am serious. Alina was so surprised. When I, I was excited when I got home. I told people at work about it. Uh, it was just a whole, a whole thing. I will be going back. It was great. Anyways. That might be the longest essay on Aldi ever done. I know that was like, I'm looking at my thing here. That was like three and a half minutes. I'm sorry. That's the longest, that's the longest distraction I've ever had too. I think your grocery <laughs> bill may be zero next time you go there, Joe Reed. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, enough about that. What do you guys got? Adam, what's distracting you? Uh, as you guys know, I'm a weirdo. Uh, it's one of my favorite and, things about you. Um, so my... So this guy, there's kind of a, a two-part uh, reason to for me getting this purchase, or rather this gift for the holidays. Uh, one, I hurt my shoulder, so I've been focusing more on cardio uh-uh. and less on weightlifting uh, until I can go into the doctor and get a, a even more thorough look next week and determine if I can start lifting on a limited basis again. Um, and then B for Christmas, I like to get things that I want, but mm-hmm. that I feel silly spending money on. You know what I mean? That's to me what so, a gift should be. Like I hate practical gifts. Like yeah. Oh I, my yeah. gosh, I could not be more opposite. But we can talk about this later. Okay. Going so <laughs> I got 
a my girlfriend got me a training mask. Do you know what the training yes. masks are? Yes, that's hardcore, man. I do not know what this is. So it basically it looks like a mask that Bane would wear. Uh, oh, Bane I can picture from, this from Batman. Uh, yep. You've probably seen it on movies or in training montages. Um, basically, what it's supposed to do is simulate um, ele- elevation conditions. I don't know about that, but when if you look at the science, I'm not quite sure that it really trains at elevation. What it does make you do is breathe harder, uh, work harder, and makes your lungs stronger. It makes you also think about your breathing um, while you're working out. So this is what I read. This is especially good for people who do martial arts because, Gareth, as you may have experienced when the fake knife was to your throat. Yes. Like people tend to hold their breath when they're in a stressful situation. Yeah. Um, which ha- what happens often in martial arts. So I've, I've just been experimenting with it. I wear the training mask to my, uh, to the gym in my building in the morning and just get on the elliptical on the hardest level and do eh, anywhere between 30 minutes and an hour. And I am, spent and uh starving when i'm done so uh it's been interesting um i'd like to see what it does over time and i'm always into trying out these little hacks but i do feel uh that in general my cardio has gotten better so uh check out trainingmask.com if you're interested uh but also look around at the science because depending on what you're using it for you May or may not want to purchase it, but thanks to that, my girlfriend man. for getting me this, uh, this silly gift because I'm enjoying it. Well, that's and, really cool. Yeah, I'm all for it, and it's very. Uh, I don't know. That's that's you, man. So I'm. All, yeah, yeah, that's rad. It's weird. Well, but yeah, but you look like you. I bet you look like a badass Marshawn Lynch type wearing it. You know, like he was the first <laughs> dude I saw wearing that, and because it was him. And he's a scary dude to begin with, like on a football field, like him wearing that thing. I was like, that shit is bad ass. Yeah. Um, all right. My distraction uh, contributing to my hearing loss this week and really enjoying it uh, <laughs> is some very loud rock and roll. Um, so if you saw me today, specifically on 57th Street, as I was walking into work, you saw me screaming a song at the top of my lungs. <laughs> um, and that is by a band slash guy called Car Seat Headrest. Look, the name of the band is not great. It's this dude, Will Toledo from Virginia, who as a teenager started recording all this music and he couldn't record the vocals in his house. So he would record it in the back of his mom's car for... Because it was the quietest place he could find. So he named himself Car Seat Headrest. His album from last year, Teens of Denial, is just outrageously good. I mean, if you like <laughs> like pop hooks 
and just anthemic rock and roll. Like it reminds me a lot of Guided by Voices and Modest Mouse and all those bands. Uh, someone mentioned Everclear even, and I'm not even hating that. All those bands that I loved from like the 90s and early 2000s. Kid's 24. He's released like 10, 12 albums, something absurd. But just go Jeez. to Teens of Denial and the song 1937 State Park. It's all on Spotify. Um, but my God, most of 57th Street heard me singing the chorus of that today. Just at the top <laughs> of my lungs. People smiling and laughing. I will tell you, if you sing like a crazy person, most people come around and laugh at it. Uh, but man, yeah, so car seat headrest, that is my distraction, is contributing to my hearing loss. And 1937 State Park is the jam of the week. All right. And then, Adam, any final shout outs? Uh, yeah, a few. Uh, shout out to my boy Uzi. Jeff Jeff. Little Swanee, Meech, Ron Mac, and my other cousin Ron. Booty rappers, stay booty. Nice. Yeah, buddy. Stay booty. Stay booty.